All right, let's get going. We're in Mark. We're going through a series called Left His Mark, where we walk book by book through the book of Mark. This one is going to be wild because not only are we going to walk through the book of Mark chapter 4, but we're going to take it in the context of the entirety of the Bible. So I'm literally, this is going to be crazy. I've never done anything like this. And so just buckle your seatbelts, okay? We're going to go right into it. I believe that Jesus has something to say. And uh, he is going to uh, speak to you in a way that will challenge your understanding of the whole issue of multiplication and discipleship. And I believe that this is an issue that needs to be talked about all the time. Uh, So if you have a Bible, why don't you turn to Mark chapter 4. That's where we're going to start. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I pray as we open your word today, Lord, and we see many seeds being poured out onto soil, and as we see you model for us this incredible uh, job that you've given us, this task that you provided us with, that out of joy, out of the overflow of our hearts, God, that the gospel spreads. It's not something that, you know, we play around with. It's an exciting, life-transforming work that you want us to be a part of. So we commit to that in Jesus' name, amen. So today we're going to walk through a biblical theology of multiplication starting in Mark 4, and we're going to go, and we're sort of like going to use Mark 4 and then push off from there, and then I'm going to go all the way from, and I'm not joking, from Genesis to Revelation really quickly, just in a whirlwind tour. I promise it's going to be quick. I'm going to try to do it in under two hours. (laughs) Right, and then we're going to boomerang back to Mark 4, so... I'm, I'm serious. This is what we're going to do. All right. So we're going to get started. First of all, there are three seed parables in Mark chapter 4. How many of you guys, you marked on your connection card last week, I'm going to read Mark chapter 4 in preparation for today's message. Well, as a reminder, you should have read Mark chapter 4, but in case you didn't, I'm going to give you like a brief overview that there are three seed parables in Mark chapter 4. Uh, first of all, in verses 3 through 8, we have what's called um, the 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 parable of the soil. In your Bible, it might say the parable of the sower, but what's interesting is that's actually not in the text. The parable of the sower has little to do with the sower. In fact, of all the three elements in this parable, which the sower is one, and then the seed, and then the soil, the sower is like the least important character. So, uh, and in this this particular parable, the relationship between the seed and the soil is is of paramount interest to us. There's another parable, uh, the parable of the growing seed in verse 26 through 29. Again, I'm just going to provide you an overview, and then we're going to go back to them. The parable of the growing seed uh, provides a relationship or talks about the relationship between the sower and the seed itself as he plants it and he watches it grow, and he realizes that the seed in itself has some intrinsic qualities, that it, uh, that it grows without his effort, although he waters it and he provides a partnership there, the seed, there's nothing wrong with the seed. The seed does its thing automatically. In verses 30 through 32, we have the parable of the mustard seed. This is where we're going to close out today. And the parable of the mustard seed is the relationship between the seed and its result. So it's all about the seed in that point. Jesus is saying you plant a seed and then the result of it is going to be this mustard seed tree that comes out of it. And so the whole, uh, each of these seed parables should teach us something about multiplication. Multiplication. Now, God loves multiplication, but my son, not so much. He really doesn't. So 
um, he, he wants you to know that too. Um, he's excited to be talking about it, uh, but uh, God, lo- God loves it. He's not a big fan of his multiplication tables. He's 11 years old, so you kind of understand that. Anybody there We're at 11? You know, okay, you got it. So first, let's go back to the parable of the soils for a moment here. The, the parable of the soils is really interesting because um, in your, again, in your Bible, you might see it listed as parable of the sower, but again, that's not in the text. Uh, the three elements, sower, seed, and soil, this is really more about the soil. Let's actually read it together. It starts in verse 3, Mark chapter 4. Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. Very first thing I want, to notice, want you to notice is that the sower is doing what he is made to do. He is meant to sow. This is his job. And so it's just a given that he is a sower. That's his title, and his job is sowing. So he's doing what he was called to do. In verse 4, as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. Now, here we go in verse 8. And the other seeds fell into good soil. So now we have a contrast. And produced grain growing up and increasing and yielding, what? 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. And in verse 9, Jesus says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Jesus says that a lot. The first three soils, if you read this whole parable, it looks like a failure, doesn't it? It looks to me, man, if you, if you just want to read it through, it's like he scatters on the, on the sidewalk, the birds are devouring it, it scatters on rocky ground. It feels like a very unsuccessful uh, sowing, right? But actually, that's not the point of it. In the last time that the sower sows, he's extraordinarily successful. In fact, the point is, and Jesus often in parables will use a shocking element, just something in in what he's saying to get our attention, to really focus us in, and, and this is that shock factor, that wow factor, that 30, 60, and 100 fold return on his investment of seed into the ground. No planting ever produced that kind of return. And so this is, this is incredible because, again, if you're going to read this, sometimes people will think, oh, you know, rocky soil, that, me, that must be my heart, you know, when it's rocky and then somebody came in and tilled it and plowed it. Actually, the point of the story is that the seed is enormously powerful in its potential and that uh, when it falls on good soil, it's extraordinarily multiplicative and it creates opportunities of itself to not just grow one seed, one plant, but of course, multiple uh, times over. We exist for multiplication. Jesus says, go into all the world and, and make disciples. We exist for that great commission, to make disciples, to multiply. And the truth is, is that proclaiming the gospel, having conversations with people about the gospel can often be discouraging because as you talk about the gospel, as you proclaim it, as you share it, you know, you're going to run against obstacles. And many of you do that. If you share your faith all the time, it can be discouraging. But we have to be reminded that the seed is perfect. The seed is actually absolutely perfect. We don't need to do anything to alter the seed. A mutated gospel is no gospel at all. The seed in and of itself is perfect. And it's our job not to take the seed and to mutate it, 
but it's to take the pure seed and to scatter it and to sow it. And so this is the point of this parable. The issue is not the sower. It's not the seed. It's the soil. It's the human heart. It's the condition of the heart. Now, we're so often bent sometimes on the style of the sower that we want to focus on the sower. You know, the sower didn't do it right. The sower did it a little bit differently. But it's not the style. This particular parable, it's incredibly helpful and beautiful to see it as we figure out the implications of discipleship and multiplication is that it happens both corporately and individually. But what we, we want to do now is take a step back out of this parable, and I'm literally going to walk you through sort of a biblical framework for what he's talking about here, multiplying and, 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 and sowing seed. It's throughout the Bible, so we're going to actually sweep through the entire Bible, and from Genesis to Revelation, we're going to see God's plan for multiplication. It's incredibly amazing as we step into this from a scriptural point of view and see that this is a, this is a narrative that flows throughout scripture. And God is asking us to pay attention to something big in the Bible. So if you've read your Bible, you know that God created everything, all that is, all that you see, out of nothing. He created everything out of nothing, and he's spoken to existence out of nothing, everything that is. And the pinnacle of God's creation as he created it all, his crowning jewel was mankind. His crowning jewel was humanity, me and you. Okay, he created Adam and Eve for the perfect relationship with him to walk in the cool of the garden in a, in a, in a glorious place, in a perfect Eden uh, with him. And in this creation of man and woman, he stamped upon them something. I mentioned that earlier. That something that he never stamped upon anything else in all of creation, and that was his image. It's, it's amazing. He brought them together then under his image, and he brought them together in marriage. And uh, Adam and Eve then, in the Bible, were the very first married couple. And what is the very first command that God gives them? It's the same command that he gave to the animals, the same thing that he asked them to do in Genesis 1.28. Let's take a look at it. And God blessed them, and he said to them, be fruitful and multiply, there you go, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. But the, the operative phrase there is to be fruitful and multiply. So what does it mean? What, what is Genesis 128 talking about? Is, is it talking about just physical multiplication? Well, yeah, I mean, some of it is that, right? It's having babies. It's mingling of the souls, right? If you don't know what mingling of the souls is, you know, ask your parents, you know, <laughs> what that's all about. Uh, but this is, what, this is what God is talking about. Make babies, mingle souls. But the purpose of this, the purpose of, of this is not strictly physical offspring. Tied to this command to make children, we're going to see this as we move forward, is to be fruitful in a way and multiply something more than just your physical descendants, more than just the babies that you are capable of having or maybe want to have or maybe don't want to have. Um, it's, it's multiplying the image of God. It's multiplying kingdom influence. So part of what God is saying here is, I want my image, my beauty, my glory, my purpose, my weight, my justice. I want all of that. I want my holiness. I want my love. I want my rule. I want my reign to extend over all creation and to be extended through the man and the woman that I've just created. And so the command to multiply is more than just have children. And I want to stop here and say that if you are single, you are completely whole and still bear the image of Jesus Christ. If you are 
not, uh, do not want to have children or are unable to have children, it does not mean that you are not, that you have missed out on something uh, that's a, a biblical mandate. And I just wanted to say that here because sometimes people get really caught up in the fact that, oh my goodness, does this mean that I have to have X number of children in order to, you know, be fulfilling God's command to multiply here? And no, you don't. What God is essentially saying is, listen, I want my rule and my reign to spread. He wants it to spread. He wants us uh, to be his method. I want to make more than just little images of God who can spread and reflect my glory, but also my worth to all creation. So in, in multiplying, we are taking what we know and what God is, has stamped upon us, and we're spreading it, and we're, we're, we're moving out into the world to create. It's amazing what God is saying there. And, and of course, if you know the story, you know that it doesn't really end up that way. They don't do this. They, they don't really follow along with the biblical mandate of spreading his glory throughout the earth. They make babies okay, right? But things go bad really quickly, really quickly. And so there's this horror story of Genesis chapter 3. And if you don't, like, if you've never read it, you should read it. Genesis chapter 3 is, I mean, you should read it. You should read it with, like, the sense of horror and terror of what it is because i'm not talking about like some cheesy sort of horror film uh, i'm talking about the ones that are really really horrible this is the fall of mankind this is when mankind rebelled against the good god who created them to multiply and began to say basically hey no thanks god you know we're gonna end up being our own gods we have a different plan we're gonna do what we want to do now and we want to be our own image we want to be our own gods. So thanks, God. We appreciate this idea of partnership, but we're going to kind of do our own thing. So they rebelled, they sinned, and then God led them out of the garden. He said, okay, you've broken our perfect, perfect relationship. It's a horror story. But what's amazing about this is, is that even though they rebelled and even though they sinned, God did not give up on his plan for multiplication. It never stopped. And how do we know this? We can go back to Genesis 9, and take a look at the story of Noah. And you know the story, but they get off the boat, and what's the very first thing that happens in Genesis chapter 9, verse 1? And God blessed Noah and his sons, and he said to them what? Be fruitful, you hear it again, and multiply and fill the earth. So the image of God doesn't go away. Even though it's marred and damaged and distorted by sin, God's still committed to multiplying his people. So his glory can cover the earth. He's still committed to it. And so even just moving through Genesis, we see that Abraham is the father of all nations, and God promised him. What does he promise? He says, I'm going to make you uh, your descendants as numerous as the stars of heaven. He's saying, Abraham, I'm going to multiply through you. And so indeed he does. At the end of Genesis, the people are then drawn in to slavery in Egypt, right? You know that story. But even in bondage, they continue to multiply. They continue. God leads them through the wilderness, and they're disobedient. So this is like, man, we're going to move fast and furious through this. He doesn't give up on them. I just want you to see that time and time again. He's saying even though they're disobedient, he doesn't give up on them. He says, I've led you to the, to the land I've promised you as they came up to the promised land. And then just like Adam and Eve in that garden, in that little promised land of, of Eden, um, God, they begin to rebel. And so he kicks them out just like he did in, uh, in the in in the Garden of Eden, and he kicks them out of the promised land into exile. And so in exile in Babylon, remember what he says to Jeremiah back in Jeremiah 29? He says, he says, well, while you're there, 
increase, increase. He says, marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. See, see, it echoes Genesis 1. And there's a consistency throughout the Bible of where God says, be fruitful, multiply, increase. And so God hasn't changed his plan. He says, increase in numbers, do not decrease. This is this whole pattern in the Bible. Growth is a part of the kingdom of God. It's a characteristic of the kingdom of God. It's under the direction and leadership of our king. It's meant for us to then take that principle and grow with it. And we grow under God's oversight, under his direction, under his lordship. I mean, Isaiah chapter 9. So if you go to prophecies back in the Old Testament, says, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. And Jesus, in speaking of his own death, then if we get into the New Testament and we see Jesus, he ties his own death back to Genesis 1. If we look at John chapter 12, which is another seed uh, parable, or illustration, in verse 24, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies and germinates, basically, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. It's unbelievable that Jesus is, is, is saying, look at back at Genesis 1. If you want to bear fruit, if you want to multiply, the seed has to die. And what he's saying is that he is stepping out onto the scene in history and is fulfilling and doing exactly what Adam and Eve, Noah and his sons, and Abraham and his descendants, all the way to us today, sitting here at Candy Creek Church today, have never done. He perfectly fulfills those prophecies and commands. Jesus Christ is the apex of all of the, 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 the narrative of uh, multiplication. And Jesus, the good seed, falls into the ground and dies, but then, of course, he was raised up. And as he ascended, he went to go take the throne, as Isaiah said he would do, and Jesus then gave us, his disciples, the very same charge that he gave to Adam and Eve, where he said, go, be fruitful, and multiply. Go and make disciples. Go and multiply. Increase. And at this point in Scripture, we're well aware of the fact that being fruitful and multiplying has nothing to do with just having babies. It's not about baby making. It's about disciple making. It's about increasing. And whether or not we make babies, we should be making disciples. So hear that right for a second. Now let's look at the book of Acts as we see what this looks like as Jesus is ascended into heaven. In Acts 6, it says, In those days and the number of disciples was increasing, so the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. The gospel's taking root. It's increasing. It's multiplying. In Acts chapter 12, But the word of God continues to increase and spread. Acts 13, the word of the Lord spread through the whole region. Again, you're just seeing this roll forward as the gospel, as the kingdom of God is multiplying in power. And then in Revelation, of course, at the very end, you have, a mul- you have this multiplication of the glory of God through worship forever. Revelation 21.5 says, Behold, I am making all things new. And so, again, from beginning to end, Genesis to Revelation, and I've just done it in the quickest way I know how to do I want you to see that multiplication is God's plan. That's the whole purpose of why I just took you like on a whirlwind tour of it. It's, there's so much more to say, but I want you to see like really clearly that it's God's plan. It's a beautiful plan. But if we step away from it, if we look back at it and just kind of examine what we just saw here, we say like, I want to be a part of that. I want to see, you know, what, I want to be just engaged in this, in, in this whole thing, this whole multiplying thing. 
And I've thought a lot about this in this last week because, you know, when you preach about this stuff, you kind of have to examine your own heart, but you also have to look at, you know, like, the local church and kind of say, you know, what's, like, what's not happening in the local church? What is, what's not, like, where, where is this idea of multiplication and discipleship not being celebrated? Because I think that if it's not being celebrated, it's actually just sort of a, a sign of a lack of health and maybe some sickness that's going on where God's people are becoming more, you know, inward focused, but we're not, we're not really on board with the whole multiply and make disciples thing. Or we think that that's about something that pastors should do, but, you know, sort of lay people and this kind of like old mindset of, you know, pastors do all the ministry and the, the lay people just kind of sit and consume. And you know how I feel about that. You know how we feel about that at Canyon Creek Church. We don't believe that's a biblical model at all. We should all be a part of making disciples, about spreading and multiplying this thing that Jesus began. And I mean, the, the thing is, is like, how could you not get excited about multiplication? How could you not? I mean, I, I see it all the time, and I get, like, amazed. I was trying to think just even this morning about all of the different layers of discipleship. I know a guy who was at the University of Idaho, and he saw a student there, invited him to church, or they prayed together. The, this, this other guy, he got saved. Um, he was at a far, the farmer's market. He invited someone else uh, to come to church. That person came to church. They invited someone else. I, I could think of like, and now I'm, I'm certain that that person that, that, that I'm thinking of that's like four generations down from the original person, that they don't even know each other, right? I mean, I just, I'm thinking about that today. I'm like, that's amazing multiplication. And by the way, I'm not saying that inviting someone to church is the same as discipleship, but it's, it's you know, getting them on the pathway or getting them exposed to the gospel is discipleship. And moving them along is discipleship. And so I really am amazed by it. And I, and I celebrate all of those times in which I see the gospel is multiplying. So now, now that we've done this, now that we've seen this is, this is biblical and there's a foundation of it in Scripture, let's go back to Mark chapter 4 because this will mean so much more to you as we read it out of Mark 4 verse 30. And here's where uh, he ends up. This is the last of the three seed parables. And Jesus said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? So what is the kingdom of God like? Or what parable shall we use for it? So it's a rhetorical question because here we go with the answer. It is like a grain of mustard seed, very small seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on the earth. Tiny little seed. doesn't look like much. It looks like just a tiny little grain of sand. Very, very small. Go look in, look in your spice rack. It'll, it's very small. And then when it, yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all of the garden plants. And puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. It's useful, it's purposeful, and it's much, much larger on, a, on an exponential scale beyond what that little seed is. And so what he's saying there is there's nothing wrong with the seed. The seed looks small and it looks unimpressive, but if the seed takes root and it germinates, then it becomes something really large. And the potential is, is that this thing is a permanent uh, structure, that it has usefulness. And I, I don't know about you, but there's a lot of things that I'm engaged in doing on a weekly basis that I think I'll never carry with me. Like, for example, you know, if you get a package from Amazon and you get it at your door, you get excited about it, you open it, it's like, wow, I got this cool thing. I've been looking forward to this book or whatever it is. You know what? The, the truth is, is you're not going to be able to take that with you. That, that book might be useful for a limited amount of time, but then, you know, it's just not something you're going to 
carry with you in eternity. It's just not. But if I invest my time in making disciples, that is a mustard seed tree. That is something that is useful and will live beyond me and will exist beyond my life and it will transform something else and become something greater and outside of, of my life. Like I'm, I'm like super excited about that concept is that this is an eternal thing that we're doing. And I want to ask you a couple of questions just as we close together. Jesus expects that our faithfulness is to his great commission is um, not like, again, something for someone over here in the margins to do. That Jesus expects that our faithfulness is rooted in him. It's not about our success. Again, it's about our faithfulness. So the question is, are you being faithful as a discipler? In discipleship, it's easy to let multiplication slide into the background. be something that we just do, maybe think about every once in a while, but it's not a major part of our lives. It doesn't exist as in, in our mindset. It's something that we need to do all the time. And so I'm at, the question for you is, with you, is it front and center in your life? Is it a part of who you are? Because this is where the future, like, the future disciples are going to come from you. Right? They are. They're, they're going to come from you. They're not my generation, your generation, right? And if you're older than me, then like, like it's, it's th- we're going to all pass away, but the kingdom of God is going to take root somewhere and become something larger than you. And so I would say this, get involved in the things that last. Get involved, and in, don't waste your life. Like, get involved in the things that last, and the kingdom of God is that thing. I mean, multipliers, disciplers, they remember to bake like all of their, all they do, all, of they, all that they say in encouragement. Discipleship is not about going around with a bullhorn and getting people's attention and yelling at them. And it's not about that. It's, it's all about encouragement. Multiplication spiritually brings with it like challenges and, you know, like rejection. It's not pretty from within and without. There's criticism. There's the attacks of the enemy. There's loads and loads and loads of self-doubt. If you are a disciple, if you ever try to talk to somebody about Jesus, you know about that. But the question then is, are you planted in this rich, vital fellowship with other multipliers? Are you involved in, like, where friends and where people of influence around you are multiplying and multiply? This is critical for for encouragement. This is critical for our church, is that if if you're somebody that, that you want to be involved in multiplication of the gospel, that you need to bring people with you and you need to do that with people so that they can see like what that looks like and what it means in a healthy way. Uh, some people, you know, they confuse discipleship with evangelism. It's not quite the same thing. Discipleship is a step-by-step walking with people to make them more like Jesus Christ. That's all it means. It can include evangelism as a first step, and it can be a part of that process, but going out and making disciples is a commitment to not just a saying yes, but an ongoing yes and an ongoing conformity and obedience to Jesus Christ. And so, are you, are you with people? Are you around people that are encouraging you to disciple? I, I really believe that in our church, we have a good, healthy perspective of what that means and looks like. I just hope that all of us are on mission and doing it together because there's so much joy in it. And maybe for some, the, the part of it that is a barrier is that you have a conception of what discipling looks like that may not be accurate. 
you think you've got to go out and gather a group or lead something or do something weird or say something weird, then maybe you just have to sit down with your kids, your grandkids, your friends, and just have conversations and lead them spiritually out of the overflow and the joy that's in your own heart to just sort of like bring people together in multiplication. This is the pattern and the message and the the meaning of the gospel is that it's not something that we hold on to like this and never show and never take out and never reveal. It's something that we share freely and we scatter freely. Are you guys on mission? Are you ready to do this? Are you ready to live this out? I am. I mean, well, you get paid to do that. Yeah, well, no, I really, I really want to do that. I want to do it with you. I want to do it for you. It's really critical that we do it together. Heavenly Father, let's pray. We pray, God, that you would help us to believe and to see that gospel-centered multiplication is incredibly just beautiful, Lord. It's incredibly amazing. It's beautiful. I thank you for each one of my brothers and sisters here at Canyon Creek Church on the Palouse and this particular mission that we have in this area. This is unique, what we're doing here. I just pray, God, that you would multiply all of these people here. I thank you, God, for others who have invested in us outside of this room, people that we will never meet maybe, people that we don't even know about, God. I thank you for their investment in us so faithfully, so richly as they have celebrated with us and labored in prayer with us. God, I'm grateful for them, for those that have gone before us, the grandparents that have prayed, the the church people that have lived and served out in front boldly, somebody that shared the gospel or invited someone to church here, Lord. I thank you for those people. I'm grateful for them. I pray your blessing upon them. I pray, God, in the days ahead that you would teach us all what it means to make disciples of the nations and that we would have the courage to do it, the courage to be fruitful and multiply for your name's sake. God, give us that confidence that comes from knowing what we were meant to be, what we were built to be. Stamped with your image and made for multiplication. In Jesus' name, amen.